This is HEC Media. Welcome to Talking with Authors, a program dedicated to speaking with some of the best-selling authors around, covering many different genres. I'm your podcast host, Rod Milam, for HEC Media. With the help of independent bookstore Left Bank Books and the St. Louis County Library, we're able to sit down with amazing writers and thought leaders to discuss their work, their inspiration, and what makes them special. By the way, you can also watch video versions of most of these interviews by going to hecmedia.org. Today, our guest is best-selling author Jan Greenberg. We spoke with her in St. Louis in November of 2020 about her newest book, World of Glass, The Art of Dale Chihuly, by publisher Abrams Books. The award-winning writer Jan Greenberg has penned books for adults and children about art of all types. From poetry to pottery, ballet to Van Gogh, she's been able to break down interpretations of all the forms for readers to make the works more accessible to all that encounter them. This time, she went into the World of Glass, which she wrote with her frequent collaborator Sandra Jordan, and artist Dale Chihuly because of the transformative nature of his work. He is the one artist who has worked on showing that ceramics, basket weaving, glass blowing, it wasn't separated from fine art. He's merged the process, the work. So more than any other artist, I think he has shown the world that using glass as a medium, just like an artist might use paint or found objects or sculptural cardboard or whatever, glass is a medium to make art. And we'll hear about her visits to Chihuly Studio for research on this book, how and why she got started writing about art, how she works with her collaborator, and more. Best-selling writer Jan Greenberg is our guest on this edition of Talking with Authors from HEC Media and HEC Books. Here's our host and interviewer this time, Angie Weidinger. Jan Greenberg, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, and thanks. thank you to the St. Louis County Libraries. This is really a treat for me. You know, your books, you write about a lot of contemporary artists, all kinds of them. But what I love about them is in your writing, you can see your intrigue and curiosity and your love for the arts. Where did that start from? Was, was that put into you as a child or where did that all come from? My mother was a career person. She was head of a department store uh, and head of the advertising in at, it was called Sonnenfelds and it was downtown. And so she used to take me on weekends and I'd sit and draw in the advertising department and listen to the discussion. But she also took me to museums. And uh, I just had a, I was creative. I was writing all the time growing up and mostly reading. So I think those things just carried over. I never thought that I had a, a, a gift for writing because I thought if I could do it, anybody could. So, it, and it was later when I had stories to tell to my children about my childhood, and it just morphed into after many years of writing books, novels about young people, they all grew up, and they went to college, and they moved away, and I had to stretch my brain in a new direction. And so I began thinking, what do I know? You write about what you know, and it was art, because my husband is an art dealer, and there were artists in and out of the house all those years, and the discussions, and there were no books for young people about art. I mean, no 
books that had any uh, gravitas or any just sort of cartoony books. So I, I thought it's a gap in the bookshelf. It's time to fill it. Yeah, and and you have remarkably, but the way that you filled it is by making it so interesting. I mean, because sometimes books, nonfiction on people can be, especially if they're older artists. You yes. Know, they could be tough to read, but what did you want to do to make yours accessible? I have a writing partner on a lot of the art books, Sandra Jordan, and who, by the way, was my first editor uh-huh. for my first novel. And then she decided she wanted to write books, and we got together. And I said, well, Sandra, I want to write about contemporary art for young people. She said, I think I know where we can sell it. And I said, great, if you do, we'll write it together. And she, thank goodness, because she was a wonderful editor for me, and she had an interest and a passion in art. We ha- we've had a wonderful time together, 14 books. And this started back, she first met you, what, late 70s, right? Around 1978, because she bought my first novel that appeared in the slush pile. I saw that. What's a slush pile? A slush pile is all the unsolicited manuscripts. Okay. And editors go through them to see if there's some sort of kernel of something. And so she liked the, the story. It was autobiographical. And as first novels often are. And, you know, that's where we first met. Wow, and that started this relationship. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I want to talk more about how you write together here in just a bit. But going back to this love of the art, you have three daughters, and you've instilled that in them as well. And, and I read somewhere, did you used to play a game in the St. Louis Art Museum? Tell me about that. Well, I have to really give credit to my husband for that game because he would take them to the art museum and he would the game went looking at pictures in the room by you know individual artists he'd say which one do you think is the best which one do you like the best and tell me why and they you know were engaged in a conversation and i think that's a good way to to educate young people about looking at art because you have a conversation and it's uh, about it's not it's beyond do I like it or don't I like it it's there's more to say we almost you created like a scavenger hunt too right oh that was me that was for I forgot you. about the scavenger hunt yes I would tell them that um, they that each room had a couple of pieces in it with a, a figure or an object or no no figure just lines, color, and shape, and they had to go find them, and whoever got the most, I don't know. I think every once in a while there was a little prize, but not I love it. it. It was fun. So you tell them to go look for something in a piece of art that they'd have to try to remember uh-huh. where it was? Uh-huh. Yes. Oh, I think that's such a good idea with kids. Well, tell me when you, if you do it with yours, if it works. I love it. My girls would love it. So these ideas that you came up with, like you said, you, you've really focused on more contemporary artists. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Because there were no books for young people on contemporary artists, really. So we started first with just writing books about looking at painting or looking at sculpture or s- essays about individual artists in the 20th century. And we became fascinated by the stories they would tell us about their childhoods. And and we thought they're all, as adults, influenced by what they saw and what they did as young people. And 
there were similarities. Mm -hmm. So we thought this would, let's focus on one artist. And the first one was one that wasn't a household name, Chuck Close. And it was so much fun to write it together. So how did you choose? Because he, he isn't, at that time really, and really isn't today a household name. How did you choose him? Well, we have to agree when we choose a subject that it is an artist who we think is significant and also that we like the artist's work. So there are many of those. But he was an artist who had a story. He had a really poignant story. And, you know, now he's been shown in every museum all over the world. He's a great man. He he had an accident when he was... Uh, in the height of his career and was paralyzed from the neck down and he learned to make art in a different way. And he's very, very generous about young artists. And so it, it was a good story. And, and that has to be part of it too. Well, that's, I'm hearing Dale Chihuly makes sense now because I'm hearing lots of pieces that kind of follow in that vein. It, it was so much fun doing the Chihuly book. It really was because, number one, we got to go out to Seattle and we they showed us around. They did everything and, to welcome us and to his world, which is where we got the title, World of Glass, because he has this very special world out in Seattle um, with glass blowing. He's, he's one of the most innovative people in the glass arts in, in the world. And... He, You'll read in the book that he had an, a car accident, and so the, he wears a black patch over his eye, but the truth is that, that he went blind in one eye because of the accident and eventually had to stop glass blowing. But he became so good at working with other people and teaching them, and he was still creating. He'd do drawings, and they would take it from there. And the book is good in terms of talking about process. We've always been interested in showing young people that there is a process and that artists have to uh, learn, the, learn their skills and be able to communicate. Well, and, and that happens in this book quite a bit because he goes through quite a process before he gets to where he is today. But, but you mentioned, too, that, that there are struggles, and you, you point out these struggles. I mean, he lost his dad and his brother right. pretty close together. Then his fame is going right on up, and then he has this accident, and then he can't blow glass. And then you even talk about his struggles with bipolar. Mm -hmm. Why do you feel it's important? I mean, the book is about art. Right. But then underlying is this message of, you know, keep going. Well, I've always been— interested when I read a biography, or an autobiography, for that matter, a book that you write about yourself, um, if there's a, a, a struggle, if, yeah. if the person, the subject, has to overcome and be challenged and overcomes. Every artist that we write about has had that struggle, and certainly Dale Chihuly did. He is the most amazing person, wonderful personality, his staff, everybody that works for him. It's a huge group that work in the hot shop, that work on, they have, even have their own publications department and so many things, the packers, the marketing people, 
the production, getting the, the work out. It's, it's, it was so much fun to go there. And then normally when we uh, work on an artist's work, we, it used to be we'd spend hours in the libraries and in discussion, and we still do the discussion, but with Google, you can just key in and get a lot of information, but it's still not enough. If it's a living artist, you want a, an interview. But the other thing was his production company, his publishing group, has done many, many books on him and tapes and videos and everything. And we wondered, you know, they could have done a children's right. book too. But I think he, wa he wanted to work with our publisher, Abrams, who's, who has done three big coffee table books. And he wants a book for children about his life and his work. And it is really that mingling of the life and the work that interests us in, in writing a book. I was going to ask you, so going back to the, the seed that started this idea, I mean, you first had this idea way back in 2006 when, when he, he had that big installation of the Missouri Botanical Garden, right? Yes. I went, Sandra and I went to see it because we were working on a book and she used to come to St. Louis where it was quiet. She lives in New York. <laughs> or I'd go to New York and we would go back and forth. And those were always great times because we'd have field trips. We'd be working and then we'd have a little field trip. And that was to the Botanical Garden. And we're looking around at this show where there was glass works, big sculptures and smaller pieces. And it was, the, the place was filled with light and color uh, because the work really responds to nature and, and the light. Uh, and I said, you know, or maybe she said, uh, I can't remember, this, this, it would be fun to write about Dale Chihuly because we've written about painters and sculptors and uh, ceramic artists, but we don't, we have never done this. And he is the one artist who has worked on showing that what we, thought of as craft, ceramics, uh, basket weaving, glass blowing, um, was also part of, it wasn't separated from fine art, that he's merged the process, the work. So more than any other artist, I think he has shown the world that using glass as a medium, just like an artist might use paint or found objects or sculptural uh, cardboard or whatever, um, glass is a, is a medium to make art. So that installation was in 2006. Right. So that what was happened? 14, yeah, 14 years ago. What well, we had other projects we were doing, but also uh, it took a while for him to choose who he wanted to do a children's books, and Abrams had sent him a few things. And he liked, uh, he actually liked the book on um, Frank Gehry, the architect, and he wanted a book that would be more middle grade, um, upper elementary, uh, rather than a, a, a picture book like some of the ones that we had written before. And we, you know, thought the age group was, was good, and then we could tell the stories and be honest about his problems with. Um, bipolar or the accident or whatever, that, that kids should know that. And we didn't want to push anything under the 
carpet. So this, you have all this buildup, and then you get to go out there and meet him, and you get to interview him, right? Yes, that's part of the process for us. To, if we're going to do a, a book on a living artist, we want to meet her or him. Yeah. And we've been lucky to be able to do that. So how did you prepare for this interview, you know, that you've been thinking about for years? How did, how did you get— Well, by that time, he had sent both of us two cartons of all the books that they'd produced from small videos. So there we were with all this information. We didn't have to go anywhere. And he sent the same up to her as he did to me. So we had all these books— and I looked at them this morning because I still, I think I'm going to donate them to the library because there's so many. And I think it'd be great for them to have a Chihuly corner there. Maybe they already do. But everything is, is done with most beautiful photography. We would go through the books and we would mark the places where we saw an artwork or a picture of him and his crew and you know, all the books have markers in them because we had to go back and choose the pictures. And it was part of that whole business. Anyway, he liked the book, that book um, on uh, Frank Gehry. And so we, rather rather than doing a picture book, I mean, we used his images and the, the photography from his studio or from a number of different photographers, I think is wonderful. Yeah. Made the book more beautiful. Oh, Sure. How long did you sit down and talk with him? Uh, well, we had a lunch with him and his wife, Leslie. Uh, it was about two hours, but we were with different people from different departments the whole time we were there. They just showed us everything, including going out to uh, Pilchuck, which was the arts, uh, glass arts school that he started in the early 70s in a wooded area about 50 miles from Seattle, and it was just heaven there, seeing the students who come from all over and the glassblowers that teach them. Wow. Well, what was your biggest takeaway? And maybe you have one from Pilchuck and from his boathouse where he does his glassblowing. What was your biggest takeaway from that experience? That he is the maestro. Even without blowing glass anymore, he is totally in the process. And everyone around him wants to please him and wants to do, do it the way he sees it. And so there's all this uh, intermingling of very talented people who are uh, handpicked by him and also who, who are passionate about glass blowing. Even now, because he is past retirement age, right? Isn't he? Yes, he's in his 70s, I guess, is that past retirement. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, most people would say, but you don't, do you see him retiring or is this just part of who he is? Uh, so far, it's a very vibrant situation in Seattle. So there, there's work still being done and he's having shows all over the world yeah. in the, in lots of, in the gardens with the glass houses and the one in his masterpiece, I think, is the glass house and the gardens and his work in Seattle near the, um, I guess it's near the Space Needle. But what's interesting about it is that he had an image that he did not want to just see his work in museums. He wanted to get it out in the gardens, in the public parks, in the street corners, and 
that people could walk by, see them, that they were not just in the museum. He wanted his art to, to be uh, inclusive for, for people to enjoy. Yeah. When you were there, I know you witnessed the glass blowing. Did you try to glow no, glass? No, I did not try. Sandra wanted to, but for me it looked completely confusing, <laughs> completely dangerous, but gorgeous and wonderful to watch. And I was glad I was there. We had a couple of days of just watching. It's such a fascinating process. But he claims that once you've discovered glass blowing, you'll never want to do anything else. <laughs> well, there you go. Because I know for some of your other books that you often try the medium that, that you're that I do. You're, right? Because it wasn't it with— um, It's easier for me with drawing and painting. Sure. Because even with the pottery, right? Where, where, when you did the pottery, yes. that really made you appreciate George Orr, right? Exactly. Because I, I, I tried and tried, and every time I would make a pot, it would— <laughs> collapse. I thought this is this is a skill you have to work at this one. Yeah, so when he's there cuz he's not blowing the glass and I've seen some video of him but he is like right there in the mix kind of directing yes. is that how he's, you would Well, he's doing drawings and the drawings are uh transferred onto the work so that the work kind of and he tells them and he gives them instructions. He's always encouraging to stretch blow it longer make it bigger, and use that color. Or there are all kinds of techniques that he's invented that make the glass so beautiful and so unusual. And I think a lot of glass blowers around the country have looked up to him for, for what he's been able to create. Well, he's the name that every—when I hear glass blowing, he's the only name that I know of. Like he's, you know, he's the name you think of. Oh, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> well, at least that's what I think of. Coming up, Jan Greenberg will talk about working with her frequent writing collaborator, Sandra Jordan, and how they've been able to work together for years. We have had disagreements, and sometimes we just give in, and sometimes we compromise or we cut it. It's the way the collaboration works. I think the books have definitely grown from having our two points of view. We both have to be interested in the artist. We're not going to do a book on an artist. Even if she loves the artist and I don't, we're not going to do that book. And we'll learn about why she thinks art is important and some of her coming books when Talking With Authors continues from HEC Media. Educate Today offers an ever-growing library of the highest quality video resources, curriculum materials, and interactive programs, all of which are designed to challenge thinking, inspire creativity, and empower learning of students, educators, parents, and lifelong learners. And you can find out more about all these programs by going online to educate.today. That's educate.today. Before we talk more about your writing process, I want to revisit something you said earlier. You noticed that in doing these books on different artists, that there's always something about their childhood that had that impact on them that they always remembered. That's, you know, with Dale Johuli, it was all the colors that his right. mother had. That in he the always, garden, yes. In the garden that he remembered and had that really huge impact on what he would do in his future life. I mean, these are books for, for kids. Are you hoping that they see that, you know, what you love now, you can do something with? Is, it, is there a message there? 
I mean, we want to inspire them, but we also want to entertain and tell a good story. Uh, I think for young people, being experimental, taking risks, and that's what every artist that we've written about has had to do, take risks with their work and take risks with their lives. And also, you can follow your dreams. And I think that was important for us to share with young people because it's, it's the, uh, the passion toward wanting to do something and make it work. Wonderfully said. Thank you. So let's talk more about this writing process. So you've got, you come back from Seattle, you've got all this stuff and his marketing team and publication team, they just keep sending you things. So I've read somewhere that when you are writing about an artist that you kind of surround yourself with all these things. Is that for better? I think you said once that your your husband comes in and thinks, oh my goodness, because there's just stuff everywhere. Is He's that so true? happy that I have a... Um a studio or an <laughs> office on the third floor. Away from him. <laughs> because there are papers and books and everything everywhere. And I've noticed it's the same at Sandra's house. She oh. has one great big table, and it seems to have piles of things everywhere. But she knows where everything is, and so I know where everything is in my study. Although I think right now I could use a little bit of <laughs> brightening up and straightening up. Do you do that with each one, though? You just surround yourself, and then when you move to the well, next Well, you one? have to surround yourself with all the things that you're going to need for writing about it. And the way we do it is we assign each other different chapters. And so Sandra would take a chapter, and I would take a chapter. Then we'd pass it back and forth. And sometimes when a book is finished, we can't tell who wrote what when because we're both passing it back and forth and talking about it, and you can't be married to your words. <laughs> you, you have to be able to compromise sometimes. Um, we both, we didn't, don't always agree. We agree to disagree sometimes. And, but that's part of making the book the best we can. And also, I must say, who else but a writing partner could you call up and talk about, uh, an artist, for example, Dale Chihuly, when he was would get depressed, he would get in bed and watch television. And who would be interested in uh, gossiping about somebody's, <laughs> what do you know, that she, you know, was remarried, married again, whatever. Uh, and it was fun to gossip about our subjects. And no one else was interested in <laughs> <laughs> the eyes would sort of, if I tried to talk about it at, at a party or just a dinner, I would see people's eyes glaze over. So it's really helpful sometimes to have a collaborator. Is that how you generally do it? You each get different chapters, mm -hmm. you assign them, and then you edit each other. We first talk about the whole concept of the book. We try and find the voice. Right. And the voice will really set the pattern of how the book is going to go because some of the picture books like uh, Ballet for Martha or Action Jackson, which is which are both illustrated and about a particular time in the artist's life, we wanted those books to have a more lyrical and uh, poetic uh, form. Right. So I think that that each book is very different, but we 
we really are trying to tell the story. Yeah. So, I mean, you've been working with each other since the 90s. I mean, that's – have you ever had a, a, a knockdown, drag out, no, this is going to stay this way? Or have you just figured out how to always work together? Well, we never do a knockdown. <laughs> that's good. That, no, we never raise our voices. We're very really? civilized. <laughs> After all this time. <laughs> yes. Well, that's impressive. Do you think that it's just – that it's you two, or, I mean, that you have such a good collaborate. I mean, is we it know her? each other very well now, and we respect each other. Yeah, and we have had disagreements, but uh, and sometimes we just give in to either one of us gives in, or and sometimes we compromise yeah. or we cut it. You know, it, it it's the way that works, the way the collaboration works. But you feel that it's better as a collaboration than if you try to do it on your own. Yes, I do. I think the books have, have definitely grown from having our two points of view and our interests. We both have to be interested in the artist. We're not going to do a book on an artist. Even if she loves the artist and I don't, we're not going to do that book. So I do think, yeah, in, in our case, two heads are better than one. Um, but both of us have done w books on our own, too. Yeah. So... You know, it's not that every book we do together. What makes the difference? We try not to do books about art or artists uh, separately. Okay, right. It works better to do the ones on the artists mm -hmm. together. Mm -hmm. well, that's interesting. So she's written a book about a Christmas tree farm, and I wrote, I edited a book on poetry about art, and I've always been uh, writing stories and articles. And we, so there's a lot of time to do individual work. Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about all these people that you've reached out to who've said yes to you, you know, really influential people. Do you ever, do you get no very often? Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> Why do you think that <laughs> because is? Because I think, first of all, I'm not, we're not trying to be judgmental. We're not writing a book that interprets the work. We're writing a book that'll tell their story to young people. Yeah. So then the obvious question is, what's next? Who are you working on next? You know, I'm kind of in a hiatus. I'm just thinking about things. And uh, I'm not sure that um, I want to do another book about an artist for a while. Just for a while. I want to do some of my own stories. Yeah, you have some stories that you want to tell. Maybe not nonfiction? For my grandchildren, really. So, And it's a funny thing about starting to write an, uh, an autobiography, which I did with the first novel, is that once I get started, I just love to make up things. And so that it turns into a novel. <laughs> it's 150 pages, and it's about, you know, my life. But somehow, it turns into something else altogether. Yeah. That's the fun of it with writing fiction. With nonfiction, you have to stick to the truth. You can't put words in your subject's mouth. You can't uh, interpret in a way that is your opinion. You have to let the book be loyal to the, to the subject. But as a, if you're writing fiction, you can just make up all kinds of things. So, but it's still, what they both share is it's still telling a story. 
Do you prefer writing one or the other, or do you have... I've been writing nonfiction for so many years now that getting back into writing fiction is, has always been in the back of my mind. You talked about the, this book coming out in this time. Do you feel like in this time in particular that we really do need the arts, that it's something that can give us a little bit of an escape? I think so. It's to look at art, especially contemporary art, is to see your own culture in the eyes of someone else who is often speaking about something you don't know about or often is speaking about something that you can recognize. But I think the, the arts are what um, defines the culture and makes us think about things in a deeper way. What about Dale Chihuly's art? What did it make you feel or think about in a different way? How did he make this? And how did he put a thousand glass pieces together on an outside sculpture? They don't break or whatever. I, I uh, was wowed by a lot of the pieces. The smaller pieces that, you know, are collectible, I think for a lot of people, the, the big, uh, he, he's done so many series. They're very beautiful. But what appealed to me were the, the big pieces. I just couldn't take my eyes off them. And they make you feel happy. And I think that's also a good thing, to find books and artworks and music and stories on television or on Netflix, good old Netflix, thank goodness for that these days, um, that will give you a way of, of entering someone else's life and maybe be interesting in terms of your own life. So I think the arts are here to stay. But they're speaking for the culture. I mean, and it's, I think a lot now is great about diversity in all the arts and in, in the world. And it's, it's time. Well, Jan, thank you so much. This has been a fabulous conversation. I've really enjoyed it. Well, Angie, it was a fabulous conversation because of you. And I thank you very much for this. I enjoyed every minute of it. That was best-selling author Jan Greenberg. We spoke with her in November of 2020 about her newest book, World of Glass, The Art of Dale Chihuly by publisher Abrams Books. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Talking with Authors. Remember, you can watch most of the episodes of this program by going online to hecmedia.org. Also, be sure to follow us on social media. Just search for Talking with Authors on all social media platforms. And if you haven't done so yet, please rate and review this program wherever you get your podcasts. The host and producer of the video version of this program was Angie Weidinger. The video editor was Greg Kopp. Supervising producer was Julie Winkle. Production support by Jane Ballou and Christina Chastain. HEC Media Executive Director is Dennis Riggs. The Talking with Authors podcast executive producer is Christina Chastain. Podcast audio editing by Paul Langdon. And I'm Rod Milam, your podcast producer and host. Special thanks to Left Bank Books and the St. Louis County Library. Again, thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time. This is HEC Media. You wake up, you get dressed, you prepare for a day of challenging and inspiring young minds. But maybe all you get is frustration and anxiety. You are a teacher. 
In the Classroom Matters podcast, we discuss the good, the bad, and the ugly of education. We talk to people such as Kim Bearden, co-founder of the Ron Clark Academy, Ken Williams, creator of Unfold the Soul, Teacher of the Year Beth Davey, and so many more insightful educators. Because your voice matters, your experience matters, your classroom matters. Classroom Matters with Christy Hool, a new podcast from Educate.today. Subscribe and download now.